read from the ninth chapter of Matthew this morning, and several things stood out to me, but there was a theme that aligned very much with some perspective that the Lord was shedding light on earlier this week. And in Matthew's telling of Jesus' healing both of the paralytic and then the ruler of the synagogue's daughter and the woman with the affliction, um, there's a certain continuity in it that I think we can miss. And this is obviously the passage where he talks about new and old wineskins. And I've shared some of this before, but it's okay to plagiarize yourself. Or so I've heard. Jesus stepped into a boat and crossed over and came to his own town. Some men brought to him a paralytic lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, notice that their faith was visible, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, son. Your sins are forgiven. Which wasn't exactly why they'd brought him. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, This fellow is a blasphemer. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said to them, Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, get up, take up your mat, and go home. So he performed a visible miracle so that they could believe in the invisible miracle that he had already performed. And the man got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe, and they praised God who had given such authority to men. As Jesus went out from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, two words, follow me, he told him. So Matthew got up and followed him. It amazes me how little rigmarole and hoopla was associated with these incredible life-altering events. Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and with his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Isn't it amazing how the flesh can change the topic when miracles are happening on every corner? Why are we talking about that? <laughs> Incredible things have just started happening, and you're talking about that. On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not, call, I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. Then John's disciples came to him and asked, how is it that we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? You start to get a theme here. God is on the move. 
Miracles are in the works. And there's these crowds who are constantly at odds with this grace. And they're constantly introducing stupid questions instead of praising God with the crowds for what he's done. Amen. Why don't they fast? And this is John's disciples. They're supposed to be, you know, more spiritual. Maybe that was the problem. Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? So fasting is a kind of mourning or a seeking after what is lost. The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. Then they will fast. And then he says this statement. He says, no one sews a patch of new cloth onto an old garment. For the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do men pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst. The wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins and both are preserved. And in this metaphor, he's saying, I'm doing some powerful things like strong wine but it's bursting your expectations like old wineskins. Amen? The Pharisees and the disciples of John had old frameworks that they were trying to contain Christ's work into. They were trying to receive it into those old frameworks. And he's saying, the problem is not the power of the wine. The problem is the oldness of the perspective. Amen? And if you could change your perspective and come with a new expectation, you could receive what God has given to everybody else. Amen. And then this is the part, I've shared this before, but I need to share it again today. If there's even one person who hasn't heard it. So he says this, he says, No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved while he was saying this while he was saying this a ruler came up and knelt before him and said my daughter has just died but come and put your hand on her and she will live Jesus got up and went with him and so did his disciples. Just then, a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. For she had been saying to herself, she had been sitting in the crowd, standing in the crowd, and while Jesus is saying, come with a new expectation come with the new framework for what God is giving two people tossed aside their old tired wineskin and grabbed an expectation of faith and responded immediately she had been saying to herself which translated means she had been building a new wineskin she had been saying to herself if I just do this I know I will be made whole now what in her past experience 
led her to that faith. Twelve years of trying the same thing with no effect, having spent all her money to no effect, having consulted every known physician to no effect? No. All of that was lumped into one big category called the old wineskin. But then there's something new happening. There's an electric current in the, in the air, and there's a sense that God can change me. Because when those guys told me what they were going to do, it didn't feel like this. It didn't have this potential, this promise. So she had been saying to herself, if I only touch his cloak, I will be healed. Jesus turned and saw her and said, Daughter, take heart. Your faith has healed you. Your new wineskin just got a miracle. <clears throat> and the woman was healed from that moment. Then Jesus entered the ruler's house and saw a bunch of people with old wineskins. <laughs> right? He entered the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the noisy crowd. And he said, get out. <laughs> Amen. God is not even going to pour the wine until these bags get out of here. Amen. Get out. What a word right before a miracle. Get out. And if you want God to give you a grace today that you've never had before, let your heart hear him say to your old perspectives, get out. Get out and see what the Lord is going to do if you come with a new mindset and a new faith and a new expectation. The girl is not dead but asleep. Now that is a difference in perspective. Amen? The girl is not dead but asleep. And it sounds categorically stupid to the old bags. Amen. Ludicrous, uninformed, silly. But it is God imposing his reality because he's God. And by contrast, our reality is a mirage. It's an illusion. When he says she's asleep, she's asleep. <laughs> the girl is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took the girl by the hand. And she got up. News of this spread through the whole region. Now Jesus went on from there, to, and two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. We got a wineskin too. We've heard what's been happening. Amen. And we are no longer content to stay in our condition that we thought was permanent. When he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him, and he asked them, do you believe that I am able to do this? Do you have a new wineskin? You see, the writer of Hebrews says, those who come to God must believe that he is 
and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now, if you must believe that and you come into that requirement and you don't get a reward, it modifies your view of your seeking, not his view, not your view of his promise. Do you believe that I am able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and said, according to your wineskin, according to your faith, it will be done to you. And their sight was restored. Jesus warned them sternly. Tell no one of this. But they went out and spread the news about him all over the region. While they were going out, a man who was demon-possessed. I mean, this is quite a day. All in an afternoon's faith. While they were going out, a man who was demon-possessed and could not talk was brought to Jesus. And when the demon was driven out, the man who had been mute spoke. The crowd was amazed and said, Nothing like this has ever been done in Israel. But the Pharisee said, It don't fit in our wineskin. <laughs> but the Pharisee said, It is by the prince of demons that he drives out demons. We have an explanation for why he has a fruit that we don't have. Amen. It's the devil. Oh, that's a cheap shot. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest fields." One of the reasons I went to this passage is I was struck by Matthew. I was thinking of Matthew, and I went to find how Matthew described his own call. And I loved the vast oversimplification of it. He doesn't say Jesus came by and said to him, follow me, and so Matthew thought this, and talked about that, and asked this, and scratched his head, and closed the money changer's drawer and pulled the curtains over the booth and he just says so Matthew got up and followed him amen it's exactly the way Matthew describes what happened when he was walking by the seashore and he says to the fishermen follow me no great introduction no great explanation no lost breath for persuasion just follow me and he says, and so they got up immediately and followed him. I think in the first 11 verses of the book of Mark, he uses immediately 12 times or something like that. You see, we introduce a lag in our faith, in our response to slow down the feeling of being out of control to slow down the feeling of submission amen we don't like it we don't like the submission that the spirit is asking of us amen you say well I'm glad Jesus isn't walking around today or others may say I, I wish he was because if he was he could just walk into my place of business and I'd lose my job I'd sell my business I'd be on the road just like that no you wouldn't 
No, you wouldn't. You know, the Lord used to be a man walking around telling people to drop their nets. But Paul, in his second epistle to the Corinthians, said, Now, now, today, the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, people are still free. People can still drop their nets just that fast. Now, the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Amen. And so the Spirit is constantly prompting us. The Spirit is constantly sending out messages, sending out invitations, sending out promptings of various forms. And some are immediately getting out of their nets, getting out of their booths, and they're getting into action. And others are approaching it a little differently. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and if the Spirit can't exert lordship in our lives then how can we call him our Lord? You see, the Spirit's not going to write you a letter. It's not going to shake your hand. It's not going to impose. The Spirit is like the wind, Jesus says. The wind doesn't have so much of a noise as it moves objects that create noise. The wind is going to stir on movable things and see if they can respond. Amen. The Spirit's like the wind, and if that's the case, we're like the branches. How responsive are we to that? You say, well, not much. Well, then you don't have much of Christ's Lordship in your life. Because that's how He exerts His Lordship. That's an authority term. Now the Lord is the Spirit. That's an authority term. That's, that's now the master is the spirit. You could even say, now the general is the spirit. And Jesus said that this wasn't a less ideal scenario from what they had when he was in the, on the earth. He said that it was expedient that he goes away so that they could have this improved version of submission through the spirit. You see, the thing about the Spirit, the Lord that is the Spirit, is He's so unimposing. He's so easy to ignore. We have to have a heart to seek Him, to know Him, to hear Him. We have to incline our ears. We have to sensitize our hearts. We have to circumcise our ears so that we can start to pick up on what the Spirit is trying to say. Otherwise, we can sit in the church as bumps on a log, and who's to say how many prompts we've ignored today? Who's to say how much grace we've despised today or neglected today or come short of today? Well, nobody except you and God. And in the end, God. I read also in uh, Luke, the story of Zacchaeus. And the whole thing is powerful and, uh, to this point, but just that, those two verses, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down 
immediately. Why did he say immediately? Why didn't he just say come down? How many of us have trained our children to come? Well, hopefully all of us. <laughs> How many of us know the, this turning point in their submission where it's like, Ella, come to daddy. And it's like, I am going to preserve as much rebellion as possible without getting in trouble for it. It doesn't work. So then it's like, Ella, come to daddy quickly. Take her by the hand and expedite the process. Or a dog who comes slinking back to you like, whatever. I have so much better things to do. I mean, he runs for the ball. He runs to do evil, but he comes dragging himself back to you. Is that obedience? Jesus looked at Zacchaeus and said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. There must have been some pride that he perceived in Zacchaeus that was going to want to just... <laughs> I'll meet you there. <laughs> sure, no problem. He told him to do it immediately. That eagerness is humility. That instant, instant obedience is humility. And it is faith. It's the new wineskin that says, I know if I only touch the hem of his garment, I will be healed. It's stepping right up to take hold of what God has for you. That sluggishness is what needs to get out. Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Thank you, Jesus. Why did they put that in there? Why does the Bible put such things in there? Of course he would have come down at once. It must have made an impression. It must have made an impression that Jesus told him to do it now. This is the moment. You know, the word immediate means without a mediator. Without the buffer of your flesh mediating reality for you. You've met with the Lord, and it's time to believe it. It's time to act on it. Thank you, Jesus. The Apostle Paul writes... Before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. Then it pleased him to reveal his son to me so that I would proclaim the gospel of Jesus to the Gentiles. When this happened, I did not rush out. I did not rush out to consult with flesh and blood. That's what it says. The word is, I did not hurry to ask the flesh. He goes on, instead, I went straight away. The word straight away is immediate. I went immediately to where God had called him. Amen. You see, the flesh and blood that we consult with is right here between our ears. Oh, it may be people also. We'd rather talk about our problem than obey God. 
We'd rather talk to others about how disobedient we are than just obey God. (laughs) We'd rather cry and get help for our disobedience than just obey. (laughs) But he says, I did not rush out to consult with flesh and blood, with the natural. But I went straight away into Arabia and later returned to the city of Damascus. Thank you, Jesus. We need to rush out to do God's will. We need to take that gap out of our response. Thank you, Jesus. If you're stuck, if you're confused, if you seem you've been in the wrong place or just any old place for too long, this is the problem. This is the problem. We've got to cultivate responsiveness. We've got to cultivate a different attitude toward the Spirit. We've got to repent of that capacity to be indifferent when God is saying, come down immediately. Make the change immediately. We're sitting in the branches of our request but refusing to come down at the speed that he tells us to do it. Because that would just surrender too much authority. And we don't want that. We want the times and the seasons to be fixed in our authority, right? When the Lord Jesus was lifted up into heaven from the Mount of Olives, they've just asked him, you know, is it at this time you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He makes that statement and he says, Go and tarry in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. And after that, the Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, even to the uttermost ends of the earth. But then he starts lifting off, and they're paralyzed by the miracle. They're looking up into heaven. Oh, this is incredible. What's happening? Is this good? Is this bad? Should I cry? Should I laugh? And an angel's there saying, why are you still standing here? Huh? Huh? Because the most stupendous thing in human history just happened. No. When God tells you to go to Jerusalem, you better be down that mountain before he's up in the clouds. He's trying to say, if you're going to be led by the Spirit, you've got to take the gap out of your obedience. You've got to move when the Spirit says to move. Because... That's where the grace is. There's just not going to be grace in your timing. When you're good and ready to try it your way in your time, you're going to go through the motions, but it's not going to be there. We've got to bring that obedience that is instant, in season and out of season, as the Lord would speak to us. People could tell us of miracles in their own lives that pivoted not on what they did only but on when they did it we all could tell of those things since we're talking about the lord as the spirit or the spirit as the lord in a military setting when a general walks in everybody is supposed to do what come to attention come to attention when the general comes in right I don't think that's a voluntary thing. I think that's a compulsory thing. 
But I imagine you could hear heels click all through the mess hall. Come to attention, you know, just because he's approached. But I also imagine that some of the under officers or enlisted men might roll their eyes beneath their salute and say, oh, brother, <laughs> okay, is he gone? <laughs> because it's compulsory. But it is an expression of how lordship looks, how authority looks when it intrudes on your space, and how you've got to change your orientation to this encounter. And that's how responsive and more we've got to be to the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit begins to move, we've got to be willing to leap to our feet. Not to salute Him, but to hear Him, to obey Him, to trust Him. We've got to change everything we're doing and make an adjustment. When the Holy Spirit shows up to a meeting and and gives us a word to simply incorporate it as if it were another private speaking to us is to dethrone the Spirit from our lives, in our lives. To bring Him down as if He were just another opinion when He's already condescended from on high to give us the answer. To come into the presence of the living Lord is to be changed, the song says. You cannot... Come into his high and holy place and stay the same. You either get softer or you get harder. You either go forward or you go backwards. You either grow up or you sprawl out into fleshliness. Amen. But to come to encounter God is to be changed. The Pharisees were changed in Matthew 9. They were transformed by the oldness of their mind. Amen. They were transformed. Amen. As were many other people in completely the opposite manner. In Acts 7, Stephen tells the Sanhedrin and the people of God, he says, you are a stiff-necked people. Your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your fathers. You always resist the Holy Spirit. You know, resistance doesn't mean opposition or a blockage. It just means to slow it down, to make it harder, to introduce some stiffness that just takes the instant limber obedience out of the body those who've done resistance training you know how to resist and nothing has to move you just have to resist amen when he says this he says you have a stiff neck what an illustration of how to resist the spirit because that's what he ends with you always resist the holy spirit amen. you have a stiff neck has anybody ever had a stiff neck? Amen. Now, I suppose when we say that, we mean we have a pained crick in our neck. And, and, and that's not exactly what he's saying. He's, he's more talking about this unwillingness to give 
your head to change your direction. It's really a metaphor borrowed from horses. I remember being a, a less than accomplished cowboy on a ranch and I was put on a remarkably stupid equine and I don't know if he deserves the term of horse but by faith I trust he was still one though he acted more like a mule or something possessed but he knew how to go he didn't know how to stop and he certainly didn't know how to turn I remember going at a great speed we were going to cut off this cow but we got up parallel with the cow and instead of cutting it off the cow went that way and we went that way and we went with great gusto and I was trying to neck rein him and he's not responsive to that so I'm trying to mule rein him you know and I'm telling you half his mouth was over there touching my knee but he's his head was still facing that way <laughs> and it was positively unstoppable so at this point I'm laid over his neck too far <laughs> and I'm pulling with both hands with all my might to uh, turn his stiff neck in a proper direction and just then at his full gallop he comes to a full ditch I said I was a little bit overextended his neck well anyway he ran until his chest plastered against a barbed wire fence. I know, I told you he was stupid. He didn't deserve to be even called a horse. But somebody may have put a rose bush under his tail or something, and I didn't know about it, but I think it was just he was crazy. But that's an example that I've never forgotten of what stiff-necked feels like. It's like, okay, I can turn the energy on and I can turn it off, but I am not going to change my perspective. I am not going to change my heading. You ever heard that term? Where are you heading? Well, you're heading wherever your head wants to go unless God can change your mind and put you heading somewhere new. So he says that this is how we resist the Spirit. The Spirit is this gentle neck rein that's just applying the slightest pressure. It's not abusive. It's not a bully. It's not screaming at you. It's just this neck ring. It's putting a slight pressure. A good horse can be turned just with the pressure of the legs. And that's how the spirit is. But we are stiff-necked which simply means we have a vision, we have an ambition, and we don't need the spirits. We know how this goes. Amen. And that's all we have to do to resist God. Amen. And to miss our purpose, our appointment, to miss the grace of God in our lives. Amen. And then we can feel sorry for ourselves. Because what a miserable life it is when we can't get anywhere, when we're stuck. Then we can feel sorry for ourselves. And we can even demand loudly that God do things differently. 
And we can even proclaim that if he did it like this, 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 or that, I would do it. And obviously that's how he did it for somebody else, and that's why they did it. And we can dictate to God. You know, if I were God, this is how I would do it. Not that you're listening, but, you know, and he's not. Because you're not God. He's either the Lord and you're going to have to come as a helpless, needy child and do it his way. Or you're the Lord and you're going to sit there dictating to him until you die. If indeed you haven't already died, at least in your spirit. Paul said all who are being led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. All who've loosened their necks, who can change, who can turn, who can come and go, who can respond, not just react. These are the sons of God. When the Spirit starts to move in the worship, why do we leap to our feet? Because we want to say, God, you can still move me. God, you can still shift me out of the stiff place where I've been and into the place of grace where you are. Amen. Why do we weep when someone reads the Word of God or our hearts are convicted by the Spirit? Are we not capable of turning our lives, our hearts to stone? Oh, yes. But if we weep, then we say to ourselves, we're still able to feel. We're still able to respond. Our hearts have not turned into stone or grown a callous. Why do we laugh with those who laugh? Because the joy of the Lord is our strength. And I'm not trying to turn myself into an unfeeling automaton. Amen. I'm trying to stay a child of God that can respond, that can be moved. I'm trying to be like Peter who looked from the boat and heard them say, I think it's a ghost. But then as soon as he has the recognition, it says he plunged into the water and swam to the shore. As soon as I know it's God, I'm over the side of the boat. Hallelujah. If there's one thing you should repent of, it is this lag in your obedience. It is this stiffness to respond. It is this determination to process everything. It is this childish petulance that wants to crawl down from the tree slowly to show that you're not that desperate for the miracle you crawled up there for in the first place. But if you're a child of God, leap from the branches. He'll catch you. Get down and get to the house. He's going to change your life today. We don't look mature when we can't respond to God. We look like that 18-month-old slow walking their obedience. And if she has a good parent, they'll say, if you don't come quickly, you're going to get a spanking. Psalms 119 and 32. I run in the paths of your command, for you have broadened my understanding. I don't walk. I don't drag. I don't sit in the seat of the scoffer or stand in the way of the sinner. I run in the paths of your command, 
because you've made me see it right. You've broadened my understanding. Hallelujah. Same chapter, verse 60, uh, 28 verses later. I will hurry without delay to obey your commands. Oh, slow down. Slow down. God's got time for you. No, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. You go slow enough, you're going to stay in Egypt when we leave. You go slow enough, you're going to stay in Babylon when we leave. You go slow enough, you're going to stay in the darkness when the light moves on. Walk while you have the light, lest the darkness overtake you. Hallelujah. Faithlessness is a cloud of darkness right behind your back. And if you just stand still, it's going to envelop you again. But God has given you a step to take. Run in the paths of his commands. I will hurry without delay to obey your commands. Amen. If we don't have what we need from God, it's because we're not humble to receive the grace he's offered. His grace is sufficient. His grace is enough. And if we don't have what we need, it's because we can't humble ourselves that low to get that kind of grace. A victim finds the flaws in every offered grace. An overcomer finds the grace even in the flaws. That's what I felt the Lord speak to me this morning. A victim finds the flaws in every offered grace, but an overcomer finds the grace in the thorns, in the suffering, in the hardships, in the failures, in the flaws. What are we going to be? Well, if you want to be an overcomer, then start running in the path of God's commands and hurry to obey. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus rebuked them on the road to Emmaus because he said, Oh, you foolish men! What made them stupid? Oh, you epic dummies! In the New Living Translation. I haven't checked that, but possibly. Oh, you foolish men! What, what made them stupid? You slow of heart. That means you can have a fast heart or you can have a slow heart. God, could you please speed up my heart? No, actually, Lord, you've already done it. I'm going to believe. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Slow of heart to believe. And Ephesians really brings up the same idea when he says, Be careful how you live. Don't live like fools. But like those who are wise, who make the most of every opportunity because these days are evil. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the will of the Lord is. We don't have to understand the end from the beginning. That'd make us God. We just have to understand when he says, come down immediately and take that one step with all our heart, just as he prescribed. What does the song say? I've run my race but set my pace and faced a shattered soul. That's what makes you face a shattered soul, is when you run the race but set your own pace. And contrast that to this. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses who by faith have testified to the truth of God's absolute faithfulness, stripping off every unnecessary weight and the sin, both 
the weight and the sin. Well, this isn't sin, but it's a weight. It's a way of processing grace that makes it obsolete. Stripping off every weight, every unnecessary weight and the sin which so easily and cleverly entangles us. Let us let us run with endurance and active persistence the race that is set out before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Hallelujah. Take the lag out of your obedience. And if there's a doubt creeping up on you like a shadow, the Lord is telling that doubt, get out. Get out and bring a wineskin that says, I know if I obey, I'm going to be changed. But I've got to obey in the manner in which God has prescribed. 